You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one. Stun bitches. Hello and welcome to the X-Man podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Welcome to 2018. Happy New Year. This is the first X-Man show of 2018. And for that, I'm very excited and very grateful. I said it on the last episode, but yeah, 2017 just didn't sit well with me. The way the, the letters just fit together. I don't know. Just I don't know. Something off. It was a it was askew. So I'm very much looking forward to the new year. Your your boy is uh, on a diet. Uh as I would, you know, I I and I, I figured out what, what it is. It's not that I'm on a diet. I'm just eating properly. <laughs> and and I think the way one uh maintains the best kind of health is not to consider it a diet. It's just to kind of hold the uh the snack monster at bay and i and i kind of figured this out and you only realize it when you start eating healthier when it's not that eating healthy sucks it's this that when you're you know like me i love snacks and ice creams and donuts and and cheeseburgers and stuff like that that if you do that every day basically every day is a party right so when you eat healthy it's not that it sucks it's just not a party day so you just kind of get used to partying. And so then the party becomes normal and then you don't and you're like, it sucks. Well, no, it's just maybe you shouldn't have a party every day. And that is my party with donuts and ice cream. So I'm, I'm just saying no. You know, it's, I'm doing no sugar or very little, uh, at least just from uh, fruits and vegetables. And, you know, so I'm like, I'm taking drinking black coffee, you know, which I usually don't do. But, you know, remember with the black coffee, you have to it has to be good coffee. Or else black coffee with shitty coffee is no fun at all. So I'm I'm doing the Starbucks cold brew and it's it's working good for me. Let me let me get a sip right quick. Ah, oh yeah. That'll that will get it done. So we have a wonderful show for you coming up. But before we get into it, I just want to mention our show sponsor. Please, if you can, support, go check out Rockabilia. Dot com. This is the one-stop shop for all your band merch needs. They have half a million items. All of their stuff is official from the band, officially licensed stuff. It is not bootleg. Don't buy that bootleg shit. Uh, 
they have pretty much stuff from all the bands that come on this show, so whether that's Christian Old Wolbers, you know, from if you want some old Fear Factory stuff, you want some Chimera stuff, you want some Bleeding Through stuff, uh, some God Forbid stuff, it's pretty much all on there. And they don't just have music uh, merchandise, they also have pop culture stuff, movies, cartoons, pretty much everything and we appreciate them as a show sponsor so please if you can head over to rockabilia.com and if you want 15% off your first purchase use the code PCEXMAN that is PCXMAN much appreciated as far as what's going on with me we are finishing up some stuff with the bad wolves just with the record you know it's you know, doing this stuff, you have a new band, and with us, we're, like, figuring out how the structure of the band works because, in a sense, you know, and I mentioned this on the, on this episode where I've pretty much run bands before. John Berklin has been at the head of the band. Tommy has run his band. So we're, like, figuring out our band structure, which is a challenge, you know, I think for 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 new bands to figure out just the way, the workflow, the hierarchy, you know, it's... um. Is very difficult, but yeah, we've been getting all the the album artwork done and the credits, and we're looking at tours coming up, and it's uh, it's exciting, but it's also very daunting because when you're launching a band, it's like you're kind of this is your first entrance. You only get one chance to be new. You only one chance to kind of introduce yourself. So, just been kind of behind the scenes working on that stuff. What else is going on? Uh, I think that's pretty much it for now. Oh, I'm going to to Iceland with my girlfriend in a couple of days. Never been there. It's going to be a little cold, but not too cold. Very excited about that. If um, anybody wants to chime in, tell me cool things to do in Iceland, send me a message on social media, or you can send me an email to thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is E-X. And, you know, if you want to sign up to my newsletter, I just put out one on Christmas. It's called the the DC Monthly, but I have not done it every month. But that's a way to reach out to me. And I just, I hadn't checked it in a while. And I had a couple fan letters in there. And that's just people, you know, saying what's up, giving me suggestions for the show. Like I said, if you want to sign up to the newsletter. And also, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, we have a show sponsor coming up for the next episode but for this one i'm actually going to play a song by a band called in search of sun i actually played a song by them a while back but they have a new album that is out called virgin funk mother on spine farm records and they're one of my favorite bands i did some i've done some work with them kind of in a managerial capacity more i'd say as an advisory capacity they're from the uk and they were in my top records of the year, if you go to dotcoil.net, I have a list of my top favorite albums of 2017, top movies, top television shows, and top podcasts. So if you want to check out what I was listening to and getting into last year, please check that out. But without further ado, I want to show you this sick-ass song by a band called In Search of Sun called Mega Piranha.
So there you have it. Hope you guys enjoyed that track. Please check them out on their social media, Spotify, YouTube. You know where to find bands. But yeah, I like to support great music. And that's what a lot of this podcast is about. For those of you who don't know, Eric German is an entertainment lawyer. I know him because he used to be Century Media, my old record label's lawyer. And after that, after we left the label, and I guess he stopped working for them, maybe he was still working for them, I don't actually remember. He actually did, God forbid's record deal uh, with Victory Records, representing us. So we developed our relationship then, and then I moved out to Los Angeles, and we became really, really good friends uh, because he, me and him are very similar in A, just our passion for music, our passion for art, uh, just, just loving this to, to discover great new talent and just being really involved in this scene and this world and the kind of the, just the brotherhood, I think that is heavy metal and this, 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 this kind of collective nature of uh, that bleeds between the bands and the music industry, because listen, there's a lot of people who are involved in the music industry who are mainly, you know, they're, they're here to make money. And they might not necessarily have the the passion or, or, or want to be a part of the, the culture. So, and Eric is definitely stands out in that regard. And, you know, lately he's worked with bands like Five Finger Death Punch, like uh, Asking Alexandria. And I kind of brought him on because I wanted to get a little more into the weeds of what he an, an entertainment lawyer actually does. And we get into a little bit of that, but ultimately this conversation ends up being a lot more freeform and we just kind of go with the flow and me and him what you're hearing here is exactly how we talk when they when it's not being recorded so this is actually one of my favorite episodes because it is so candid and it's very free-flowing and i'm not sitting there it's not an interview we're we're, we're really just going for it and and i and I love Eric, and I really appreciate him, him taking his time to do this, and I think this is valuable for musicians and people interested in the industry to get that other insight outside of just the musician's perspective. So please, without further me rambling on this bitch, check out this conversation with my friend, Eric German. Right now, I'm in an office at MSK. How do I? What? What? what I don't know. How do you present a law firm? The law firm. It's of, the law firm of Mitchell Silberberg and Nup LLP. Right on. So I have a good friend, an old friend, uh, Mr. Eric German, on the X Man Show. Hello, Doc. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> so I try and have someone on the show who is involved with the industry in some way, who's not a musician and, you know, uh, publicists, label people, managers, all that. I want to have as as many, because I think as much as the show is kind of this reflection type of thing and kind of examination of things in the past and how we kind of move forward, I also really like that kind of educational aspect of it and kind of like open uh, people might not really have a full understanding of the way this industry works because I think, especially when you're coming up, you you know nothing, right? You have no sure. idea of kind of how the uh, 
how the sausage is made. Also, and, I'm an X man. I help put X's on the signature line. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> X's on the signature line. Um, so I actually I listened to um, you on Al's podcast. The uh, yeah, that was fun. The uh, Unstoppable Recording Machine. And so I got to I got to hear a lot about your past, but um, kind of to like maybe maybe in case some people have heard that kind of kind of sum up like your whole background and, and where you're from and yeah all right I, I grew up in upstate New York I'm 47 years old so that's uh <laughs> kind of laugh you almost spit out no, his it's coffee. like it's like Chuck Chuck Woolery I'm 47 I like to I like to do kite surfing and exactly I don't like kite surfing but I do love heavy metal and I grew up uh you know a suburban white metal kid you know like uh stip- typical basic uh slayer t-shirt and bonfire in the woods and that kind of you know that kind of background so i loved heavy metal so much it was such a lifestyle it was such a a part of me that when i left school uh left high school to go to college at syracuse university in 1988 i uh you know i brought my jean jacket with my back patch on it and you know my my sack of albums i got to college and nobody there cared about metal like i did right yeah so i felt pretty isolated from the lifestyle in the community and pre-internet there was no real way to find that community outside of your area so i'm going to college parties with bob marley playing on the you know on the stereo and i really want to talk about the new slayer record with somebody and I can't do that. But eventually I found very, very, very early dial-up internet shit where I could uh, talk to kids in Sweden about uh, bands like In Flames and Ice Earth and Evermore throughout the 90s, right? So as I got out of college, when when uh, Nirvana killed Metal Dead, basically, and grunge came and kind of wiped Headbangers Ball, went off the air for a while and all that stuff, there was no real way to consume uh, metal and discuss like I didn't have any physical people around me that like that stuff and I didn't have uh, any media that was covering that stuff so I had to go find it myself I found it on the internet and that convinced me that uh, you know the world was changing and that the internet was going to open up all sorts of doors make it a make an ability for us to all connect around music regardless of whether the big radio stations were going to play it, right? So uh, what year are we talking? So, yeah, I just gave you about the entire 90s in two the, sentences, the entire, right? Well, uh, I'm talking about your particularly your college experience. What, so what I was period? in college from 88 to 92. Okay, so that was say, literally like, that was the change, right? Right, it, right. Like everything kind of kind of. So when altered. I first got to school, right, I went to a high school where like the football team was cranking like uh, Metallica for whom the bell tolls before they went out for halftime, right? Well, you like you know? like a metal town <laughs> kind did, of? I did, absolutely. Damn. And then, um, but when I got to school, it wasn't like that because it was more of a kind of, you know, a different kind of preppy vibe, I yeah. guess, in college. So that was the first time that I felt like cut off from the you know, the crew of the metal people. But then, you know, it really hit hard in 91, I would say, when uh, Nirvana Nevermind came out and just everything. Can, just we, got, can we talk about that yeah, real quick? Let's, because let's I, I think that. that's a bit of a rewriting of history. Because okay. how can metal be dead when in 91, the biggest metal album of all time comes out? You have the biggest, in 92, you have Megadeth puts out their biggest record. Slayer, Season of the Abyss, that's their biggest record. I think that's 91. You have um, Pantera coming up. You have White Zombie. It's not like, we can't just sit here and pretend like, well, here's what got killed. Here's what got killed. Glam metal got yep. killed. Real metal survived. And if 
if you look at uh, Iron Maiden didn't change singers, if Judas Priest didn't change singers, maybe their career arc, I think their career, you know, kind of looks different from that angle as well. You have Korn came out, I think, 94? 93, 94, yeah. So... Is, so, is, are, are right, we, right, have, have we have we rewritten history to kind of pretend yeah. like you just you just were too young to see how it felt right yes so here's what was going on first and foremost the big seven to ten million selling docking album or warrant album or poison album that stuff was lumped in together iron maiden and Poison would be shown on the same music video show, for example. Or if a local commercial station had like a headbangers ball hour on a Friday night or something, they would play Pantera and also Warrant. You know, mm -hmm. it was metal. Same magazines would cover all that stuff. So I think a lot of the commercial value in that that mainstream major label heavy metal thing was the hair metal and the spandex and all that stuff. And when that stuff completely went away, Old school metal kind of felt just like things do. It kind of felt old. It felt like Big Brother's music. It felt like it wasn't cool. You know, when when people started liking Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam and more so the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Primus or Rage Against the Machine or Nine Inch Nails or Jane's Addiction, these are bands that appealed to that same kid that did like the heavy stuff, mm -hmm. but now it was sort of the more modern take on that. Now, right? now, were you a glam guy? Were you into that no, stuff too? No, not at all. I mean, I stopped at about Shout at the Devil, Motley Crue, but I hated Theater of Pain because of the way they looked on the album cover. Plus, it's a way worse record, right? Yeah. But like Poison, never, no. So, so in, in, in a lot of ways, you Guns N' Roses was almost too glam for me. Yeah. You know, I was more into Testament and Overkill. No, yeah. so in some ways, it was like a purge. Right? Didn't we? Didn't we kind of get? It was like a dog shaking off these fleas. Yes, but here's what happened: because men that are starting to get older get a little insecure when a young buck comes up and is a little cooler. All of a sudden, guess what happened? Metallica cuts their hair, and by '94, they're wearing makeup, eyeliner, and short hair. And uh, uh, Anthrax is wearing. Uh, they get John Bush, and they have plaid shirts, and uh, they cut their hair, and. Uh, uh, Bruce Dickinson leaves well, Iron Scott Maiden. Scott just went bald. Right, that's not, <laughs> shout out to Scott Ian. I'm bald too, so I'm we're bald, my, my bald brother, Scott Ian. But Bruce, Bruce Dickinson leaves Iron Maiden. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, Rob Halford leaves, and he starts doing alternative stuff that sounds like Nine Inch Nails. Like well, he did that, but he also had Fight. Yeah, but at first it was, I think, two, then it was Fight. Here's the other thing. When you went to see these bands, Iron Maiden was playing like clubs. I like know, House but, of Blues but with another clubs. singer. Yeah, they played. Fair they played Birchill. Actually, they played Birchill. I think with with Blaze, and then so did J Judas Priest with so, Ripper. So some of these bands were giant. Metallica was absolutely massive on the Black Album, but like the whole vibe of what was cool was moving. Things were changing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And and people were opening up to more broad. Uh, ideas of what heavy music should be, right? And there were the music video shows that that emerged in the '90s were like, you know, hard music. People talk about hard. The word metal became a dirty word for a while. You played yeah. with Darkest Hour. I remember uh, 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 that band at one point, uh, like, getting called out because they were like afraid to call themselves a metal band, right? And all these bands, 
then the bands came up to Shadows Fall and uh, you know those types of bands, and they came from a hardcore perspective. They came, they were wearing like basketball jerseys. And what do you uh, mean they? Playing, would, we, you know? That was it was us and God them. God forbid, right? So, but but like the cool thing about God forbid was you were playing Metallica style, uh, you know, solos and sweep arpeggio. There was a whole time period, Doc, where there were no guitar solos. You don't anymore. have to tell me. We right. were we were we came out playing locally and like in our local jam room and people like wow man you guys are playing guitar solos that's really cool but the thing is even though it was the mid 90s and all that stuff was going was technically out of style all i was listening to was testament and creator and all and pantera so i didn't in in a way i was in a cocoon of just music in general so i didn't i had no uh sense of kind of like the what was going on in the world. I was kind of in my own my own world of like, well, this is stuff I like. So because I had come out of all of that experience with the internet uniting people and stuff, I was totally obsessed with my college friends. I'm building like an online metal community. And yeah, I think we've talked about this. We were doing the metal update, metal judgment. We were reviewing yeah, so, bands so that, and that was doing a, news and all that stuff, right? And during that time period, I was like questing for anything with a riff or a guitar solo. I heard Lamb of God's first album and I heard Shadows Fall's first album. I was like, this isn't exactly as good maybe at first as the, the shit that I liked, but at least they're fucking playing leads. At least there's like heavy crunchy riffs and double bass drums. And, and so you have to understand when we talk about Killing Metal Dead, I'm not talking maybe number of units, although I, when you take all that hair metal shit off the top, I'm sure that the number of units did go down. But yes, the good stuff, the the true metal did survive, but it was such pressure on it that, you know, lineup changes ensued, dramatic uh, changes in style, i.e. cutting their hair or, or uh, not playing guitar solos. So there was an assault. And, and then the shows, the mainstream shows stopped covering it. So yeah. it was hard to find. And, and kids today probably don't understand what it feels like to, to have something be a lifestyle thing that you're cut off from without the internet. You know, if MTV's not playing it, you know, like in the old days, your grandfather, there was three television stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, right? And hey, you just get what they fed you. And now today we have all sorts of, you know, options. Well, we're still at the tail end of that world when all of this happens. So, yeah. So when you were in college, did you know you were going to become a lawyer? Mm -mm. No, I thought I, I, I wanted to work in the music business. I wanted to be a, uh, like in college, I worked in a record store. I took audio recording classes. I played in bands. I tried to manage like campus What's bands. Your I worked for, I play guitar. I play, I play? also play bass, I play drums. You know, how often do I play? If there was a guitar here right now, I could, I could play, you know, 12 or 15 Metallica songs, Pantera songs, Slayer riffs. I can, you know, I know my, uh, 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 modal theory mm -hmm. and all the harmonic minor and Dorian Phrygian alien yes, You probably know more than me. <laughs> I can read music. <laughs> I can I can jam pretty good, like uh, um, uh, pentatonic scale, like blues, you know, like solos and stuff like that. So you, you know? were you were really right. into it. I was really into it. Yeah, I was. I got. I used to buy those guitar tablature books, and uh, I remember getting the Injustice for All one and trying to learn every oh. goddamn note. Of I, the had goddamn it. I had it. I had I had that one. Yeah. I had them all. <laughs> um, so what? 
being in school, what led you on the path to becoming a lawyer and specifically an so entertainment So I lawyer? got a job out, out of college working for a concert promoter in upstate New York uh, that was putting on concerts at a place called the Cayuga County Fairgrounds in Weedsport, New York, and the Orange County Fairgrounds in Middletown, New York. And these were dirt racetracks, right? And I'm a 21-year-old kid. It's my first job out of college. And I'm working for kind of a uh, a promoter that uh, was a lot of hands off and he wanted me and a couple of other people to like run the thing, pick the bands, help get them booked. I did everything from hire the caterers to do the uh, buy the radio station ads to literally deliver physical tickets to local record stores to uh, do posters. You did and everything. I started. Yeah, it was fun, dude. And, but it wasn't fun, right? There was that's know, work. That's <laughs> real work. A lot of work. I wasn't getting paid a lot of money. That's actual responsibility. And you know, we I got to bring in. I brought the first arena shows from the band Fish because mm -hmm. all the hippies in my college liked Fish, and I told my boss, and we booked some big shows, and they were big successes. Um, I did. I brought Metallica. We did like five or six shows on the Black Album tour. I have wow. all the photos. The backs asked Berkland. Uh, one night uh, I was talking to him on the phone. I was texting him all the old photos and backstage passes. So were you the actual like talent talent buyer? Like were you? No, actually I was a twenty one year old kid that worked for the talent buyer. Okay, okay, right? You know, like, but let's let's picture a promoter that wasn't very interested in in the music business. He just wanted to put up his money and and you know yeah. hang back. So he would send the kid, and I think almost strategically he would send me to uh, to deal because I didn't have any authority to do anything. <laughs> I mean. Mm. So I, rem I there's so many stories from that. Uh, but we did Van Halen with Sammy Hagar. Uh, we did Motley Crue with uh, John Karabi. <laughs> I had uh, uh, Queensryche. Uh, and that was all uh, you know. coming from your ideas? Yeah, and we would, you know, in conjunction with a, with a team of people. But I was the kid that they would be like, what's cool? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I booked all this stuff. And it was, you know, the facilities were a little rough. And the bands would get there, and it would be like trailers that were busted, and the bathrooms didn't work and stuff. And I'd be there to, hey, everybody, what's up? And they you would know? just yell at you. Yeah, exactly. And at some point, I said to myself, uh, self, you were a smart person, and maybe there's more to life than you know, cleaning the toilets in a trailer just so you can kind of be near the scorpions while they're <laughs> drinking yeah. their beer, right? So I... Uh, um, I decided, I talked to a booking agent. I can't even remember who that was at this time, but I would interface with all the booking agents and somebody suggested try law school because I wanted to move from being a foot soldier in the music business to sort of an executive. And I thought, what's well, a quick way to do that? So I thought I'd take- Law I'd, school's quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought I'd take a, uh, uh, the LSAT and see how I did. And I ended up doing really well. So I said, fuck it, let me see where I can get into school. And then I got into a good school. So that was after you'd already gotten your uh, bachelor's? Yeah, I got my bachelor in 92. I worked from 92 to 94 for this concert promotion company. And uh, from 94 to 97, I was in law school. Mm -hmm. That's. That's the and specifically to be an entertainment lawyer, a music yeah, I thought, industry lawyer. I thought lawyer. I was going to be an entertainment lawyer, but what I really was interested in was the idea that computers, like I said, I learned all that stuff in college, that computers were going to be the key to uh, the new music business. Yeah. The music business was going to transfer from physical to digital, and that a whole new Wild West was going to open up when the internet started to apply to music. Were you ahead of the curve on the whole Napster thing and kind of feeling that this industry was kind of on this, uh, that was, it was in a bubble that was eventually gonna burst. Did like, you, did you like see that there coming? There was no question to me that I wanted to get, every, I wanted all you can eat cloud level type service in the 90s through my computer. And I saw these early pirating sites and 
uh, I went to work for a, out of after law school. I clerked on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Then I went specifically to a job in New York City at a firm called Proscar Rose LLP because they had a client called the Recording Industry Association of America. And I went there specifically with the purpose to work for the major record companies in litigating against these peer-to-peer -peer technologies. And I thought I was saving the music business. I thought everything, everything I had glamorized, and I was frontline warrior. And this yeah. was cover of Time magazine. This was CNN uh, covering every hearing. And it was, uh, uh, to me, the most interesting thing I could possibly be doing and the most righteous work, you know. Again, fueled by that love of metal. So, and but, I have to protect so but you this. were involved specifically in the major labels getting together and suing Napster yes. itself. Mm -hmm. Okay. And winning and beating Napster. Okay, but. Shutting it can down. I, can, I, can I ask this, though? How come. There was no kind of broad look and understanding that Napster's just one kind of well, thing first. that you hit, and then like a whack-a-mole. Yeah, game, the, like right? like why was that wasn't being seen at the time? Well, back at first of all, there were um, major major corporations that had their entire way of business threatened, right? And the idea, I think, the thought was that. Sure, this was one, but this was a very famous one with a lot of users so that was scare trying to monetize. You'll make an sure, example. I mean, look, look. In theory, are always somebody going to be speeding? Sure, they are. But if there's a cop sitting behind a bush at the top of the hill, yeah. every once in a while pops out and gives somebody a ticket. Is that going to slow people down? I don't know. Maybe. Well, but it's this, incentives. Yeah. It's a, it provides in, a, and, negative and incentives. I think that this all happened faster than 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 history will let you look back. Yeah. And it's just like one day, like it was like. Oh shit! It's over, isn't it? <laughs> like, but for the moment, also when people are getting hundreds of millions of dollars of investment money into a company that's taking your music, Doc. Imagine if all your music was just just taken, just somebody just took it, just like. What do you mean? I say, I, you don't <laughs> think tons of people downloaded my music for free? Of course. But I don't. I I tell you though, my view. I don't know if you've read any of my articles I've written mm -hmm. about this. Is that I don't think it's accurate. And I think you all often hear this from, you know, the guys in Kiss or someone in Aerosmith will be like, these people out there, they're stealing our music. No, they're not. They're not stealing your music. Here's stealing. You have a, a, a bunch of boxes of CDs in a warehouse. Someone breaks into the warehouse and takes the CDs. That's stealing. What people are doing is copying music, mm -hmm. all right? So that means if you have a HDTV in your house and I find a way to copy it, and so now your TV is still in your house. Now I have the same TV. Yeah. That's so See, there, there's that's a reason the difference why, between physical property and intellectual property. Exactly. Right? And 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 I think we have to you know, it well just the the idea of of abundance, right? And scarcity and how that works in an economy. We have a situation where now intellectual property has been able to be made completely 100% abundant. Yeah. There, you know, and that's the thing is that we, you know, I saw this really great um, kind of web documentary about just essentially we we were able to take the intellectual property and put a fence around it, right? And you needed to go through the record label, the record store, or whatever movies, video games, whatever intellectual property you're talking about. You you needed to they had the key and you had to pay for the key to get through, and this technology changes so that there is no fence. Yep. Right. And That's the right. truth is, if you could do that for every commodity, right? So if I could download a cheeseburger 
If I could download the new, you know, if I could 3D print the new iPhone so I hadn't have to go to the store to buy one, people would do it. So you're, I, I think the we're just flipped around about the incentives because people pretend like, dude, I hate to break it to you, Joe Perry or fucking uh, Paul Stanley. If you were 13 years old and you could download the new Beatles record for free, you would have done it. But yeah, but, but, but okay, so the, what, you got to separate what you're saying, what seems obvious in 2017 with what seemed with what the state of affairs was in 1998, right? No, but in 1998, were, I was downloading shit on LimeWire. Right? Do you know what I'm they, saying? LimeWire didn't even exist until probably like 02. Or, or maybe you're right. Maybe right? it was. It was right. after so, that. But, but when this stuff came to, to uh, you know, it. let's put it this way. What if I said that it, that you could just walk? What if the law said you could just walk into any Walmart and take anything you want off the shelf and leave, right? That would be a different world than one that says you have to walk in and you have to pay money in order to take these things off the shelf, right? So it really came down to for people was what is going to be okay? Can a business come up and get a bunch of money and set up a shop and go try to go public and become the big thing and not, you know, can they just walk into Walmart and take the stuff? Oh no, I'm not or, arguing that it should be legal right. or that it's even moral. I'm not saying it's moral. You're just saying it's a fait accompli, right? Saying, it's gonna happen. I'm just saying we're. It, you can make a law, but if you don't have the ability to enforce the law, what good is the law? So that there you go, and thus the court systems, and they had to take a shot. You can't you can't let a billion dollars in in potential assets go away for a situation without taking a shot at of it. Of course, and, and uh, they there you're thinking too about the difference between what's called secondary liability and primary liability. It's one thing to say, okay, these people, the kids, are going to download and copy the stuff. There was a doctrine of secondary liability that things like Napster or Kazaa or LimeWire were held liable under because they facilitated their business was set up as sort of a basic a way to do this. They were making it possible and they were making a lot of money or at least creating. How are they eyeballs. making money? Well, you know, like think about how does anybody how does Snapchat? Why is that just work? advertising? It's uh, and and I don't even know if they had money so much as they had value eyeballs and value yeah. yeah and they were attracting investment dollars and who knows where oh, it, where so, it went. so there were actually investors big... in those companies yeah R yes I, wow I'm, yes. i i feel like i'm, I'm so the disconnected the bertelsman from... invested in napster at the height of the whole thing so does the investor also get sued well then that would that would in theory be tertiary liability meaning yeah. like okay so the act of copyright infringement is the is the individual that downloads the song uh, illegally right what about it can the service that makes that possible be held liable that's another question can the guy who invests in the service that uh, you know let me ask you, a, let you a question a did did companies like Napster and Kazaa did they do uh the legal work beforehand to know if it was legal or did they know or, did, or they just not care everybody everybody was pretty sure that these things weren't legal and in fact they, they weren't just, they were held liable they didn't care they yeah. just they just were they were often started let's be fair started by kids and you know they just thought it was cool yeah that's right? the thing i just presumed it was some yeah. like guys in their dorm room or yeah, something but then those guys in their dorm room need money and staff and business and how do you think they fought and paid for the lawyers and you know they got people to invest I didn't think it was like that. I, they I hired regular people that had, you know, the president, the vice president, and the head of marketing, and the, these were companies. Okay, so after going through that and kind of being on the front lines, uh, do you feel like the approach was wrong? 
I'm not sure really how else she would have done it. I mean, first of all, they probably bought a f several more years of the CD being viable, right? Of course. Second yeah. of all, and I mean, I used to pay like sixteen ninety eight for a freaking CD. It seems crazy. I almost it, never. Right? I would always try. I always say this, and I've probably said this on the podcast before about like. I did anything in my power to not pay full price for CDs. I would like be going through the used bin, or I'd like know a guy at the label, or you'd get like. You know how stupid I am. I used to think that I would I needed to show my support for the artist by uh, by buying it. Like I literally would think. No, that I would do that you know? too. But I would like. Oh, don't give me a promo. It's cool. I got it. Yeah. I, I literally would say, Ah, you don't need to put me on a list. I'm going to support the show by buying a ticket. That yeah. that that went away at some point real quick. But you know. <laughs> Well, I, listen, I think that's great, and I probably do that more now, yeah. actually. Like, I like I just went and bought the new Glassjaw record because it's like, that's one of my favorite bands. Right. I don't have to buy it. I can just stream it, right. but I want I wanted to buy it, you know, and I think... I'll probably I'll, never buy another CD again, and remember... No, I didn't buy a CD. We, I, I just downloaded it. We talked, though, about... Um, I'm I'm the guy that lived through all that stuff, but I'm also a music fan, and as you know, I work with tons of artists and a hopefully relevant attorney today i have a cool client that you might know called uh bad wolves or something you might have heard of so uh, I, I heard like, <laughs> maybe maybe you've chosen me for a reason right so i hope that you know the the podcast doesn't go down where people are thinking you know we're talking about things from 20 years ago right yeah but i th i find it fascinating that that guy from 20 years ago that i was foot soldier r-i-double-a lawyer right wearing a suit and tie, arguing copyright infringement against technology companies against the tide of reality, mm -hmm. right? And I'm sitting here today telling you I'll never buy music ever again. And that's for sure because I don't want the space taken up on my phone. I, I mean, Spotify Premium, second I got that, my wife expanded us to a family plan for Father's Day a couple years ago, and I was just, it's over. I love music so much. I got every song in my pocket, man. Yeah. I can't stop listening. It's amazing. It's uh, it's what I've always wanted all my life. So let me ask you the question: you know? What's the how have obviously we haven't figured out how to make that way of doing things viable um, in the, in in the grand scheme? Obviously, the here's what I say: I think the music industry is like the the rest of the world. It's like you have the people at the top that are crushing it, and then a few people like right in that. So it's like the the one percent okay. of one percent that's crushing it, the actual one percent that's making a decent living, and everyone else is fighting okay, so over here's, scraps. Here's what I'm realizing: rock and metal isn't happening on the streaming services to the level that it's supposed to, yeah. but the music industry is popping off big time. In fact, the growth over the last few years is huge. I just went to uh, I'm I'm counsel to something called the American Association of Independent Music. They had their holiday party here in LA this week, and it was at Epitaph Records. And I was talking to the Epitaph people, and they're like, "We're having our best years," you know, like. Everything is growth, growth, growth because Spotify is their biggest account and it's up, up. I'm not saying that specific to Epitaph, but to uh, labels in general, the Spotify numbers and the, and the streaming numbers. Okay, but let's talk about, let's, the roof. let's not talk about numbers though. Let's talk about a revenue base that exists in 2017 as comparable to say a revenue base where at the peak of CD sales in 2001. Are we talking about revenue to a band or to a label? Well, those I, are different. Well, right? I think that in a sense, not, not that it's not relevant, but that might speak to the actual inequity of how um, profits and and uh, net gains are distributed. Yeah. So, but so, but I, I'm, I'm talking about a pie. Right. right. So, so just talking about from records, not talking about concerts, not talking about publishing. I'm talking about actual. We we because what what what, what I'm talking. Smaller pie. 
Okay, so the pie is smaller. But what so some people say is that uh, streaming is at a, the streaming services are at a maturity level of like, I've heard as low as 10, 15%, right? In of other the words, population of the, uh, that in. where it's going to be, right? So not of the population where it's going to be. So in other words, streaming revenue may end up, if some aggressive prognosticators are right, maybe 10 times what it is today, yeah. right? Um, it's certainly gonna be more. It's certainly gonna be double or triple. Way, you guys or, can't see right? it, but my fingers are crossed right now. <laughs> no, because I, and, I I believe it's in many ways, like I'll give you an example. So the other corollary and, and direct um, uh, comparison is Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. So Netflix has so much fucking money because it, it's almost like the healthcare, right? The more people that buy in, the cheaper the yeah. kind of rates go down. Yeah. But it's the same thing with this stuff. The more people buy in, the more the pie gets bigger and we can pay artists better. We can, so you we have all- to have people switch to premium accounts and not to uh, just, there's no, there's no Netflix light, you know, with I don't, commercials. But so. I don't know why anyone wouldn't I know, pay but $10 a month. Like it's, it's like to me, that's my, like, pe like I don't care. Like that's I yeah. will not never get rid of that. Yeah. Even if I'm dirt poor, yeah. I would still pay for Spotify or Apple. One of them. So think about this: if that growth is is still bound to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. But so that that revenue is growing. But the problem is that the the for some reason. A, rock and metal people are still, to some extent, buying CDs to some small extent, right? Yeah. More so especially than pop, in, especially relative in, to pop or alternative. Yeah, especially or in Middle America right. and down south and kind but of But the these. problem is there's less and less places to buy those, and there's less and less emphasis by the industry in New York and LA and Nashville or whatever put on those. So... You know, and then when you move over to the streaming services, you look, it's all hip hop. We were talking about this oh, online. The, the top right? 50. It's all hip hop and pop, pop man. That's it. And that's all these kids care about. And so the young audience that really dominates on the streaming services don't give a shit about fucking rock and metal for the most part, yeah. right? I don't want to be Gene Simmons, right? I'm not saying rock's dead. No, I'm but just that's saying. A, but that, I think that's another conversation. I teach Syracuse University's music business program and I deal with 20 year old, 21 year old kids every semester that are dedicated to the music industry and i can tell you they really don't care about anything with a guitar man they really oh, don't you don't you don't have you to know? tell me and i so, think i think you can actually hear that in the quote-unquote rock that's big right now so if it's 21 pilots or portugal yeah. the man or any yeah. any of this any of this stuff that's um that's you know all it's actually affecting the kind of active rock world. Like, so if you listen to like the new Papa Roach single, you listen to the new Nothing More record, sure. you listen to the new Foo Fighters record. Even everyone is kind of adjusting their sound to kind of this. I don't even. I don't even know what the actual how I, how it actually would would phrase it. But it is the sound of, of a mid rangey guitar. Yeah. Literally, unless you're Metallica. Yeah. It does not exist in the mainstream world. It has to be that, you know, uh, the like the black. It's like the black keysification mm -hmm. of music. It has sure. to be bluesy. Yeah. It has to be like kind of the mid range gone, so it's kind of like based out. Like so, the guitar almost sounds like a bass. Yeah. yeah. You know. No, you're exactly and, right. And that's and and it has to be some whoa whoa. Right. There has to be <laughs> some shit like that. And and it's and it's it's it's. Uh, synth driven it's low end everything yeah. has low end and actually i think it's one of the reasons why bad wolves has caught on yeah. is that the sound of the band is very low end very it doesn't have that old school guitar sound it has yeah. a new school a lot of low end subs yeah. and that stuff speaks I mean, to can, the young I, people i can't even find a, a somebody 
tuned to regular E tuning, you know, like, right? It's like everything is dropped, like B, D, and Genty style guitar. Um, but you're, okay, so let's say there are certain tropes that work in today's world, right? Now, how do people discover music? I think metal and, and hard rock are, are in a challenging time in several different ways. Number one, little young kids don't like to go out anymore. They sit home, but they're they going have every Netflix, not. every Spotify with their headsets, their video games, and their internet. I'm talking about young, young kids. I'm talking about 10, 11, 12, 13. They don't ride their bike to the mall and go play video games all day and mom says, see you home. You know, they're the helicopter parents and they stay inside. And so they're not getting the experience of like, they don't go to concerts. And, and that's what Kevin Lyman was talking about in terms of what he thinks is happening with Warped because that is a particularly young audience. I think we're seeing the beginning end of, you know, of, of where people get shot at shows and fucking uh, people are, uh, you know, I, I, I. But the revenue doesn't agree with that. Uh, well, concert revenue is but I the think, highest it's ever been. I think we're not investing. I think young kids, again, you were talking about before, you're talking about the 90s and you're saying, well, Metallica had a giant album in 91, but it was the beginning of the end. Sometimes at the peak is when you start to see the fall. But, and but, I'm here's, telling here's, you, but here's a counter to that. Because, yeah. like I said, my one of my side jobs is I bartend and I'd work these giant festivals. So I work like. Hard Summer yeah. and Escape. How many guitars do you see at Hard Summer? None. <laughs> but guess what? There's a hundred thousand people, and yeah. it's they're all young. So, young, so young people are going like, out. They're young, like 2021. 20, they're young. They want to go uh, even uh, younger than they want to get half naked, take Molly, and pop around, and and that's not. They're not. They're but not they're out. fans of the, music. But they're out. When, when I went to some of those first EDM shows, and I started getting into that world, and I work with some great clients in that in that world. But I was the first thing I was shocked was. When you go to see a DJ or a, you know a, a performer, I didn't realize that they don't play their own stuff. Not only do they not play well, instruments, they, they they for the most part like and you talk about oh they're just hitting the space bar. Not only are they just hitting the space bar, they're hitting the space bar on like Kanye songs. It's, yeah. it's like a party, like it an is old a party. school DJ. No, that's right? what it is. It's yeah. well, it's. It's I, not about that. And no one cares what these guys had for breakfast. No one wants to read a 12-page interview in Rolling Stone and find out what, what makes them tick. No one's looking at the lyrics. There are no lyrics for the most part, right? They don't care. Give me some lights. These are usually skinny teen kids or people from don't even speak English, and they're just throwing cake. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, here's what, here's what I realized when I was working one of the festivals was and what makes it different than the rock world where so you have a, co a rock concert and it's you know Led Zeppelin up there and everyone's looking at the stage and it we think about this idea of the rock god and we bow to the oh my god it's it's Jimmy Page it's not and, like that right anymore. what their what that culture the difference is the DJ supplies entertainment for them to have fun with each other yep they're having so they're there with their friends and they're having a good time and yeah there's lights and there's kind of a, a big uh, hullabaloo going on but it's actually they are there to provide the soundtrack to, for them to have fun with each other yep. and it's less about what's happening yep. on the stage and it's just part of it's part a different of, culture part of the reason i used to want to go to shows right is because i wanted to go hang out with like-minded people who like back in when i was a kid when i was in high school people used to identify with certain genres like what kind of music do you like would be the one of the first questions you would ask somebody and this person would be like i like country or i'm into goth or i'm a metalhead or i like alternative rock right and if you're a metalhead that was your 
that was your bro, you know? Like, like <laughs> now, now we're cool. Now I got my, you look for those three other kids in your class that have the Pantera shirt on or whatever, and you go up. Three them, kids right? in a class with a Pantera? Right. What school is this? <laughs> but the, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, today, these kids don't care about genres anymore either. Like, it's not, there really aren't, like, as much metalheads and con they just like music, whatever. And most of them, I know I can't believe this. When I was a kid, you wouldn't nobody would say I like pop music, right? But these kids, that's what they all say. They like pop music. They just want to have a good time. Now, the internet also has made it possible that I don't have to go to the show to find people that like what I like. Guess what? I can go on the internet. I can chat with people all over the world. And as we move further down the thing to virtual reality driverless cars mm -hmm. we're headed towards you ever see that movie wally yeah <laughs> dudes in those hovercrafts you know like yeah. the uh, fat people just looking at their screens yeah that's i mean that's, that's where we're going and there there ain't gonna be any concerts in that regard or there'll be concerts it'll be online right so here's what i'm saying in a, in a world where we're so heavily relying on people discovering new music from the live setting which disproportionately was true with respect to hard rock and metal and also where the next thing is streaming look radio's under siege too right the number one place that a band like bad wolves can get traction right now is octane on sirius xm well, to, uh, also liquid metal well, terrestrial but, uh, radio yeah. it still doesn't you have to still get but, played in the places there are though. less and less and of course less and less and if you look at how many spins you need to get to be number one on active rock radio it's not that much right and so um we're we're People used to, it costs a lot of money to promote your track to be on radio, right? And people used to want to uh, get on radio. Why did, why did you want your song to be on radio? Why did a label want a song to be on radio? It was because they wanted to sell copies because you'd hear it on the radio and you'd go buy it. No one's buying it anymore. They're just streaming it anyway. So why not skip the whole radio thing, go right to the playlist, right? Because <laughs> just all you're doing is trying to get people to stream anyway. So but, focus but, that spend But how on many the people, and that's the thing is... And these, these labels, these metal labels and these hard rock bands and managers have not adjusted. They're still playing the old game of trying to get your CDs on the end cap in Best Buy and get on the radio at, at uh, WJJO or WIIL or some of these stations in the Midwest. And that's great. That's an important piece of this business. But they're missing the idea that the streaming world is where the young people are. That's where the music consumption and growth is happening. And I don't see, and I think this is on Spotify and Apple and those people too, they're not doing enough outreach to do really cool stuff. When Metallica's album came out, and I, I can I say on this podcast, we, I had the best time, we, we had a the day the Metallica album came out, uh, Ber Berklin and, and Doc and I and, and a couple other people got together specifically to List, listen to Metallica party. We had a listening and, party. and drink beer and have fun, right? Yeah, like it, was, the, uh, it was great. And it's, the, and, the, and it's unfortunate that we, you know, there's not enough touchstone uh, experiences like that. Maybe for when the Tool album comes out, we we'll have yeah. to go and do like ayahuasca in the forest <laughs> or something. Uh, but they had, the date when they did this, uh, uh, when they did that, there were some videos on Spotify, like some content, right? No, they but made a video for every song. Not just the videos, but there was some early leading up, like here's some snippets in the studio and stuff like yeah. that. But I think on Spotify, like on Spotify, video content, video content. I didn't know about. And that. I think that there there are new. I think we need to do more as a hard rock and metal industry. I assume that's your audience, Doc, hard rock and metal. Yes, right? yes, I think that's you know, I think, those are my uh, people, my we tribe. We need to connect the dots more between the streaming world and that, and I think that that's, that's the key. Can I add a, add a, you know, kind of a counter to what you were saying? So I'm 
on one of these um, email newsletters that tells me the sound scans for all the rock and metal. Ryan Downey. And, yeah. So don't we can't give it away, man. People are gonna hit them up. Uh, you know. So and if you look at the sales, unless you're a legacy metal act, right? So unless you're Anthrax or and I Amana Marth, you know. And, and now when I say legacy, I mean you've been around for. 10, 15 plus years and you're established. So there's some underground bands like that that sell records, Testament, these bands. But if you're not that, the only bands selling more than like 10,000 records are bands that get on the radio. Yeah, well, it, it, like, it caps out like, so, so if you look at heavier bands, right? Probably the biggest selling one that's like I said, that's still heavy, that's not doing, you know, that's not really, like Power Trip, you know, they sold like 15,000 records. Yeah. And keep in mind, that number is also buoyed by the fact that for every 1,500 streams, streams you yeah. count as a sale. So keep, yep. keep that in mind. So it's give you an idea of how much people are consuming that product. But it, there's a, there seems to be a cap. You know, I, every now and again, you'll get a band breakthrough like a Gojira who gets to sell, you know, yeah, the there 60. Is, there is a cap. And that's why. But, uh, the, but the radio, then you see, oh, I Prevail you just can, sells 100,000. Then you see right. nothing more. Like you see these bands. So. So so why so you you're okay. saying what you're saying but then I'm seeing data that okay, suggests so I'll, 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 something different. I'll explain to that. The ones that break through today on the radio a little bit more. Yes, you were exposed to more people. There's no question that yes, like having two million people hear a song can can help. But those bands that are having success are different than the ones that were five or six years ago. It's not your I don't want to name names, but your typical song based radio rock just kind of. I hate to say, you know, eh, not not that cool, yeah. right? That stuff. There are bands that have been number one on the active rock chart that can't draw a hundred people to a live show, yeah. right? There are bands that that it's not part, real. It's not real fans. That, it's like Fairweather. Right? So the ones that you're talking about are yeah, you know, like Mastodon and Gojira. They are having success at active rock radio, but they are lifestyle bands. Also, they have that component too, right? Well, no, no, Even no, no, no. Star Set or I'm, Nothing I'm... More, they have a deeper dive you can do. It's not just a catchy tune on the radio, yeah. right? The ones that are just a catchy tune, they seem to be a lot of spending money and, and putting money in people's pockets to, to play it a few times to get some profile, but it goes away. But you look at things like what I think is the most important tastemaker in our industry right now is Danny Wimmer Presents and, and their festivals and the World's Loudest Month, Rock and Arrange, all this stuff. And you look at the bands that are on those festivals, right? And they every year you can sort of take the temperature of where this industry is by looking at that lineup. Mm -hmm. And they always skew a little bit more. And I think over the last couple versions of the festival, they've gotten a little bit more cool, I would say. Less radio rock. Because let's be honest, certain aspects of quote unquote radio rock are like the hair metal of today, right? But um, the... Uh, uh, you know, there's they're much more likely to have Code Orange and Power Trip and Gojira and Mastodon on those mm -hmm. festivals. Than I mean, they how they they, they landed Muse for right. that for the for the one festival. They had you know Metallica on Rock of the Range. That was last year, right? Yeah. So I think the consolidation in that regard, uh, something interesting to point out, is that taking that world uh, and the European model, like Download Fest and things like that, of combining 
you know, where Blink 182 can play on the same show as Power Trip, right? Yeah. Or uh, I think that I think that's cool, and I think uh, Wimmer and company, from my perspective, have worked really hard to make shows where Muse and Five Finger Death Punch and uh, A Wall Nation and uh, and and uh, uh, Avenged Sevenfold can all be on the same bill. You know? Yeah, and they're even they've been bringing in some hip hop stuff. Like Run the Jewels has done a few of them, which I think is great. And uh, check this out. I'm gonna just look this up on my computer right now because we are at my office. I'm gonna look at this this festival uh, lineup for Rock and Arrange. Uh, this is coming the, coming up. The, uh, yeah. Is this secret? No, it's announced. Oh. But uh, check this out. Um, see if I can find it here. If you yeah look. Okay, so. You've got, you were talking about hip hop, I noticed this. You got Tech 9 you got Machine Gun Kelly, you got Yellow Wolf, you got Body Count, you've got uh, The Fever 333, you've got I Could Keep Going. There's like seven or eight sort of rap rock bands. You could consider The Fever, that's, that gets rappy? That's the dude Fever from- Fever 333. That's the dude from, uh, from Let Live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got the elements of that, yeah, for sure. It's like ragey kind of. Yeah. I mean, so uh, from ashes to new had some of that, but like that we're headed. You know, there's different times, there's different eras of what's cool, and you know, you don't see your big uh, uh, wallet chain, affliction T-shirt, like forty-year-old uh, guy with bad hair dye. You know what? <laughs> almost could have been in a country band, but this is cooler. That those bands aren't on these festivals right now. Yeah. You know. It's uh yeah, there's definitely a, a, a turning of of the tide, you know, to kinda I don't we've been talking kinda about the state of the state of things for, for a while now, but you've even been telling me that a lot of your business has been going more towards electronic music, more towards DJs, mm-hmm. more towards pop. Um, do you are you hopeful for, for, for hard rock or are you cynical? Because I feel like I'm even becoming more cynical. I, I I'm I mean, I'm hopeful because it's like you know, Hard rock and metal. I'm I'm a obsessed Oakland Raiders fan, right? And I went through some dark, dark down seasons, but I kept showing up for the games. And I, you know, we might be two and twelve one year, and I'm still hoping for the win in week <laughs> fifteen, right? Against the, you know, like whatever. Um, I, I, you know, so for hard hard rock and metal, I'm a loyal guy in a sense that like I like the things I like. I'm like excited to see the new Star Wars movie. Same shit was yeah. when I was seven years old, right? But the uh, um. So I'm always going to be rooting for metal, but dude, I mean, if you're realistic and you work in the music business, not a musician, but you work in the business and you really get down to brass tacks, what's the best way I can make money? What's the way I can make sure that when I go on vacation, my family can stay at the Four Seasons? What's the way I'm going to buy a new car? It's not peddling metal bands. It's pet. I mean... There are some metal bands that will make money. There are things that can be, look, you have a manager that also happens to be my client. That is a great shining example of what can be achieved, right, in, yeah. this, in this regard. Uh, uh, you know, our, the, the man, Zoltan Bathory from Five Finger Death Punch is uh, a part of both Doc and my life. And, and this guy shows us on a regular basis that, uh, you know, you, you can win. You can win big. So, they just had two platinum albums certified for, now they have three of their six and the others are all gold. I mean, the statistics and the numbers they put up are inspiring, right? It can happen. Okay, but what, let me ask you this. But, so, it, but yeah, what, it's what, what, unlikely what are they, to. What's their approach? Do you think, because I think that's one of those bands where, you know, we were lucky, God forbid, to tour with Five Finger a couple times. And they're one of those bands that is, um, 
can be very divisive mm-hmm. amongst the more elitist type of of metalheads. And I've had bands that we are peers with be like, man, I just you know opening up and man, I just don't get it. I don't get why why and so many. And I've, that's I've had that conversation a hundred times, and to me, it's completely obvious. Well, yeah, there's it's not but, the sugar level complexity of rhythm, and it's not like Ingve uh, Malmsteen guitar solos, although Hook can play, right? No, those are like Ingve guitar solos. <laughs> right, right. Those guitar solos, but, I had to learn a bunch of those, and they're but, insane. But what what it is, uh, it, well, it's me, exactly it designed to give the people what they want. Number one, and number two. Whatever, God bless him. Whatever uh, you think of Ivan, he he can sing so great, man. He's got one of the most soulful voices, uh, you know. Of and and when I remember when I heard the bleeding, and I think you were on the Mayhem Fest with them, were you? Year, Maybe it was year a year after. F- okay, we were. but I remember going to Mayhem and watching the bleeding. That just that particular song, which had been, a, I think there was a video on the that was the hit on the right, and it was just man, this is good, man. It's yeah. really good. He can really sing, and uh, you know, obviously they have a great team and they run their business right. So yeah, well, it's know. just I, I think a lot of these. Someone like me will ask someone like you, right? Someone with, all right, this guy, he knows what's going on. He has a good ear for things, has good taste. But more often than not, I think, don't we miss? Like, that was one of those bands, if you had to pick who was going to be the band to kind of make it and blow up, I've heard from a, a lot of people involved in their, you know, their early years, a lot of people were like, this band's terrible, this band sucks, they're not going to do anything. So it's like... Isn't it much easier to decide why it works after they're successful? Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah. Monday morning. <laughs> one of the things is last one through the door, right? I feel like in some ways Avenged and Five Finger, they're sort of of an era. They were the last ones through the door. They sort of popped well. what was still happening. Headbangers Ball was still on MTV2. There was that little lift that bands got. When your band came out and got forbid, one of the things I liked about it so much was, again, it harkened back to that older era where it seemed like certain things were not necessarily hip, but they were not, it wasn't, it, in fact, it very much wasn't hip to have guitar solos and be, call yourself a metal band. But the fact that you guys were doing it made the people that wanted that like it so much more. I think that when you give the people what they want, contrary to what all the elitists tell you that you should, and you just go around that and go right to the people, and it sounds like a political thing, right? But sometimes that can have an effect, and you could say, "Holy shit, maybe there's some un, some people that their voice wasn't being heard, and they've mm-hmm. latched onto this because it is what they like." You know, look, the music industry often the decisions are made in New York and L.A. People that do not understand necessarily what somebody in Ohio wants, mm-hmm. right? And maybe there was some of that going on. The other thing I wanted to pick up and come back to was you were uh, you were saying at one point that. Uh, uh, if a band had been on the radio, they get that lift. I remember in the 90s thinking that no matter what, no matter how low metal got, if you were a band that had been on MTV the first time around, like if you had your video shown twice, like Testament or Overkill or something, if you had been at all that kind of exposure, you could still tour the clubs for like during all that down period, it's true. and you could still headline. I mean, look right? look at a band like were, Crowbar, <laughs> right, like right. Crowbar. They were, that probably was, still that was like D Team of no, but, that era, but right? they still got played right. on Headbangers Wall. So I went to the show at the Roxy. You were there, Sacred Reich. What was yeah. that like? Packs. There was a, a ton of people recently, right? And we were standing out in front, and I was saying to Doc, like, "What's going on, man? There's tons of I didn't know those." 
Sacred Reich wasn't even that popular back when they had Surf Nicaragua and all that stuff. What, what's going on well, here? Well, that, that right? happens. I mean, you look at, for I'll give you two examples. Carcass, uh, At The Gates. Actually, another example, Refused, who were not big when they were, they were not that big when they were active. Yeah. Broke up. 15 years pass and they're playing like you know they're pulling 2,000 people so I, I, don't I don't know, know. I don't know if uh, that that stuff those bands are uh, uh, like if the bands that were playing when you when God forbid was coming up was there a C team D team that were still good bands yes. but they were like right yes there, I think there definitely was but sometimes I, like I'll give an example I, I think there was a time when when all that remains was like a B team yeah and they just they put out that record yeah and uh, the one with uh, this calling, actually, well, the one before had you know kind of started, but when they put out this calling, it was like yeah. they just they just went right up the ranks. So, 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 but the ones that never went up the ranks during that time period, now it's going to be harder for them to come back and reunite and have any kind of level. But if you had been through the door and you had if you had a spotlight shined on you when there was a bigger platform, you got a career for a long time. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's I, think. I think that's. I think that's interesting, and and we're kind of figuring out and i think with chester bennington passing away with um chris cornell passing away that's two headliners that just disappeared overnight right yep um and we're trying to figure out and the thing is that's that's really kind of exciting for me is like seeing trivium uh just headlined out here and seeing the nut that they're selling out every show and like and it's like Thank God that we have That's a, a band. That's one of the last from your era and your peers that are still like that have been on a steady no, uphill I think they're, trajectory. I, and it Lamb was of act, God as well. It was a very well. Lamb of God's been big for for a long time. Trivium, we took them on their first tour, 2004, and then we opened for them in in 2006 in the UK, and they were drawing 2,000, 3,000 people a night. So they what they're doing here now in the states, 10 years later 12 years later they did immediately in the uk so it's so in, in a way it's actually it, it they had this kind of validation out the gate that hey you're great you're special but the fact that that i haven't really seen a career arc like that that where they just they were they were always they always did well yeah. in the states but just to see the concert business build well, they did slow. reboot. This goes to your point, and against mine, they did reboot active rock. and went active rock an album or two ago, and they did the time. They put in the time. They took the hits, and they they did that. You know, but they they did that stuff without compromising kind of what made the band what it is. They didn't like drop the solos. They didn't make the songs like not <laughs> technical. So like they, maybe that's the model for your new band, Doc. Well. <laughs> you know, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't want to uh, signal too much what's well, going on. But but anyway, I think I'm just. That was a proud moment for me. Just of like, all right, metal's still alive. Seeing them headline cool. a, a big venue. Seeing Gojira went and they booked really big venues for their last uh, headlining tour. And just to see, you know, I went to the show in L.A. Sold out. And you're like, okay, so some bands are moving up. Are they going to have gold yeah, records? No, are they going to have platinum no. records? I because don't know. If I go ask a, a auditorium full of college kids if they ever heard of Trivium, the answer is probably 98, 99%. But no. that's, but the, they, I, they I like Taylor Swift and, and Kanye West. And, but that's, I don't think that's necessarily fair. Okay. I think, and, here, and here's why, because I think there's very little um, tentpole stuff at all. There's very, what, what we, they call the monoculture, right? So back in the day, everyone knew what the Cosby show was. Everyone knew about Ghostbusters. You're, you're, this is so, this what you're saying. So, and, so just because those people don't know about it, like there's a lot of big, small stuff. 
Yeah, you know what? This is the most important issue of our time, and I'll tell you why. And this is not subject your uh, your thing, but the whole idea of fake news and the whole idea of that we don't have common unifying things anymore. That's why I think there's I a love, few. There's a handful. That's but why I love little. the NFL so much because uh, you know it, it was like everybody gets sits around and watch Super Bowl. In the old days, everyone listened to Walter Cronkite around the radio or something, right? Today, there's nothing. Now we're, there's nothing that that all of us kind of get I love people I want to connect with people that's yeah. why I love music man I want to connect with other people and and that's as you see the theme in my life is that when I was isolated from that connection I would find a way to make it but but when 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 I say this guy I say it's 4 433 and you say it's 327 yeah. and how do we or if I say today is is uh is Monday and you say it's Friday what do we do nowadays to, to go to Google, right? I and mean, there's a fucking fact, right? But if I say that uh, the Russians meddled in the election and you say that they didn't, uh, we, where do we go? Well, if I go, well, it used to be I could go, well, it's right there on fucking CNN. It says that, right? And now, you, now somebody who disagrees goes, well, that's not my news. I, I, I listen to Fox News. The New York Times, that's fake news. The point being, it's we don't have scary. a common ground to accept what is truth, right? And it's the same thing with entertainment. We're not all watching the same show. We're not all listening to the same band. Dude, I'm looking at Rockin' a Range right now, this poster. Here's the headliners. Tool. How long have they been around? 30 years. <laughs> Avenged Sevenfold, the newest one. When? How long have they been around? Since like 15 2000, years. 2001, 2000. Right? Alice, Actually, they probably started a little bit. So it's Tool, that. Avenged Sevenfold, Alice in Chains, Godsmack, Alice Perfect Chains is closing Circle. one of the nights? Yeah. Okay. Tool, Avenged Sevenfold, Alice in Chains, Godsmack, A Perfect Circle, Breaking Benjamin, Stone Sour. I guess that's new-ish, 15-year. No, Three that, Days that, Grace, Stone Temple Pilots, right? Are you kidding me? Those That's the top three rungs on the thing. There's no new bands there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Yeah, well, it's it's well, what we've lost is well, I'd, I'd say it goes two pronged, and I've I've written about this about 
A, when it comes to hard rock and heavy music, we tend to um, lionize uh, oldness and history. And there's also the, the kind of mechanism that allows bands to move up very quickly isn't necessarily there because you could have back in the day, you could have Guns N' Roses all of a sudden gets played, uh, you know, uh, um, Paradise City or was it was Sweet Child yeah. Mind blows up and it's everywhere. It's not just on, right. it, it's on MTV, it's on, it's, right. you know, it's, it's everywhere and all of a sudden they go from, oh, they're at this level to they're a stadium band almost overnight and the truth is the the bands and in, in the quote unquote rock genre that are moving up it's in that more that alternative world. It's yeah. more in the highly coach, suspect. Or, yeah, coach uh, right? By the way, I just heard a highly suspect yeah. song today that was incredible. Awesome. I is it know, they or is it one guy? It's uh, it's I think it's a band. I, okay. I saw them at uh, Aftershock actually recently and uh, really got into it. Man, it's really cool. The yeah, lyrics I, are really cool and all that. Yeah, right? but we have a ten. So whereas, and this is something I think especially is true in like the black community. But which I guess maybe the pop world is kind of pop has become hip hop. So we've kind of borrowed that ethos of it about right now being fashionable. It's like, yo, that shirt was in 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 style last Wednesday. Now it's next Friday is a new thing. And so they'll take something that came out last week and put it to the front. So it'll it'll be like, oh, this you heard heard that new song, dude. Yeah. They're headlining the festival yeah. next week, and that's and that's true with EDM too. It moves real fast too, like that, right? You're right. In the rock world, we move real slow. Like I I work with a band. As well, you no, know. it goes in reverse though. We literally will put a band higher on a bill because they have history. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, we don't we don't take the young new one, right? We you know, don't. It's considered disrespectful, and yeah. it's and it's also you know, and I think on a lot of these. The older bands, in a sense, have been adopted by pop culture, which is why you will go to H&M and Walmart and see ACDC shirts and Metallica shirts. And we've become the fashion. You know and what? A, for it, it's the best thing that's happened because we needed to connect to whatever was left with a fan base. Let that marketing spend. Here's one of the things I'm noticing, if if I may drop some truth on the, on the people. In the, in the metal world right now, the problem is the economics are out of whack. Right, these bands don't make enough money in general to justify what needs to be done to break the artist. Like, yeah. like let's put it say, people aren't buying enough records, so they're not. The recording budgets are down, so you don't get a year in the studio with Rick Rubin anymore to make a Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Or right, same thing with in general, all across the board. The budgets are cut. The things are rushed. They're in the com uh, like you can't put the kind of marketing dollars into something that only has this ceiling anymore. So we're not gonna be able to pump money, we as an industry, into these new artists because there's no return for it, right? Yeah. We can make them famous, but we can't, there's no money. So you need to connect the highly suspect with the uh, tool. And you need the five finger death punch and the asking Alexandria all on the same show because you, because that's the only way we can get a critical mass in order to have something cool like a big hundred thousand mm -hmm. person festival. But do 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 we need need to go even further and put our bands with like Imagine Dragons and yeah, you know, you know Walk the funny. Moon yeah, and, and that world? That's what Europe does. But I would say part of what I always thought was cool about metal was there was some kind of legacy, some kind of like brotherhood, some kind of connection, right? Yeah. And so when I see a Judas Priest up there or something, I feel like that belongs, even though Whitechapel and Judas Priest are completely different things, but somehow, you know, Suicide Silence and Iron Maiden on the same bill makes sense, right? But when you look at uh, uh, 
uh, Imagine Dragons. They some you know where that line is. Nope, they ain't part of the club, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little too mainstream. Yeah, and I'm not saying that that wouldn't be good for the industry, but I would say that if you like the shit that we like, you don't really care that much about, uh, you know. I don't know. I just don't think that people would go to an Imagine Dragons show and watch Code Orange and become a fan of them at this. Maybe they would, but maybe not, you know. By the way, Code Orange is literally like, um, (laughs) they've done like the Triple Crown. What's that? I mean, they got within like a span of a few weeks, they got a Grammy nomination. Mm -hmm. They hit the uh, Rolling Stone, the only metal album on Rolling Stone Top 50 and Revolver number one album. That's amazing. It's, Did you see the the article that was going around about the nothing more? Who the heck is nothing more after they got nominated for I, three Grammys? I didn't read the article, but I saw people kind of complaining about Be- the best article. part about the article. Oh no, actually, I did. I did read the article. I didn't. The lady goes, "It's like Gautier fronting Muse." <laughs> I thought that was amazing. yeah. Listen, I I think honestly, I'm. I remember hearing the new Nothing More record and yeah. being like, oh, "I'm not like super into it." Yeah. And then I saw them at the Revolver Awards, and I was blown away by by how intense uh the performance was there's obviously some uh kind of theatricality with some some of the stuff they have on stage and then i kind of and then i saw how well the record was doing and i I reapproached it i'm like you know what this is cool it's it's you know because they could be you know kind of how remember how like incubus was like in the metal and rock world they kind of graduated out maybe they're that next band that has broader ambitions and i think we need that i think we need Bands thinking outside the box, Absolutely. coming from different perspectives. The, the number one thing a band could do today is think like a business and start to uh, to look, think who your demographic is, who's your audience, what are they consuming, how do I reach them, and to create compelling content that actually touches people. Like at the end of the day, if you can't get people to open up your wallet in some form or another, whether it's a concert ticket, a T-shirt, or buying the music or or something. You know, people should figure that out quick because the internet kind of lets you see whether people think what you're doing is dope. Yeah. You guys put up a song, and you saw the reaction. People liked it. Well, it was even before Tommy sang I'll, the five year. No, I'll, listen, I, I have to say I've been doing this stuff a long time. Yeah, and you know, me and you have, um, you know, especially with like we kind of reconnected uh, when I moved to LA, and specifically when I started writing for VH1. Because I was kind of writing these like think pieces yeah. about um, about the music industry and and where things are going and kind of my, my thoughts and we kind of bonded on kind yes. of some 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 similar ideas and th- and this I and, and at the time I was really pushing my other band Vegas Nerve and trying to get that off the ground and we which ha- is we, excellent by the way thank you thank you and we and we sat here and had like conversations about about intentions right like all right. You want to something to be successful, but if you go into it with this kind of prefabricated um, idea, sometimes you actually dilute it. So it's like this way of being successful by being—I I don't know—it's just it's yeah, very no, counterintuitive. You were one hundred percent right about all that stuff you were saying. And and if I may, if we can open up the kimono here a little bit, I Doc would say, "Hey, this is what I'm doing with this band," and the music was fantastic. I actually came to a show and it was really good. But I was like. I asked them the standard set of ANR labeled douchebag questions. You know, here's my checklist of so where do you, you know where does everyone live and how how much are you going to devote to touring and where do you and and Doc is like, yeah, man, I'm not going to sit here and go do that 
unless there is a reason to. I might do that, but I have to kind of see how it goes and what, you know, uh, what where it takes me. And I would say, well, then, dude, no one's going to bite on yeah. this thing. You I know? realize it's, it's like a reverse game of chicken. Yeah. It's like who's <laughs> going to commit first, right? Like if we were f- full on, then yeah. maybe the attention would have been there. Or vice versa, if someone would have came in, then we would have went full on. So it's, um, listen, I think in a sense, I was right, but I was also wrong. Well, you, you know, were, it depends on what you want. And here's the, at, at the end of the day, I'm sure we're getting along on this podcast, but I want to say this. When you look, this is what I mean about the economics are out of whack. When you look at what it takes and what the realistic, reasonable chances of getting money out of, and I mean money as in a career, a house, a wife, kids, car, mortgage, retirement account, like a career, as opposed to a bunch of kids who want, like, look, it's pretty cool to go backstage at a concert. It's really cool to have the right laminate. Isn't that cool? It's kind of really neat to be like, (laughs) I'm on the list and that. At a certain point, it's not that cool, right? And it gets to be particularly not that cool as you start to get to be a certain age and you've done it a little bit and you've been there. And if you're not out there trying to get smacked out of your mind and you're not out there trying to grab every girl that you can and you're really just a normal human being, remember that at-home experience I was talking about before? You got every Netflix, uh, you know what? Maybe I don't really care if I'm... I, you know, a rock star. Maybe I just want to sit home, and that's that. The problem is, this is built for kids. Like the big. By the time you get to be a certain age, you better be a star. You better figure out something else to do, or you better be willing to like grind it. Right. Yeah. You guys are in an incredible position with Bad Wolves because you very rarely see it poised like this for this second crack at the apple. And it's awesome. I'm really excited to be a part of it. You know, like, well, it's 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 kind of interesting because now now that the festivals are being announced, now that, you know, the kind of the, the hype machine is building up. We're starting to get played more on Sirius and, and, and things are starting to happen. You, you know, you get a lot of these people just be like, yo man, congratulations. congratulations. And all I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, right, right. no, but here's all, all I'm thinking is like, God damn, we have so much work to do. Yeah, like yeah. that's all, like I'm, yeah, You've it, got a trip up to bat. You haven't gotten a base hit yet or a double or well, a triple. Not, no, but you, get, you get to stand in a batter's box. No, but I, here's how I honestly feel is that I know we have a great record. I know um, the capability, like, the talent level, and not only that, just having myself, John Berklin, and Tommy Vex, we're all, we all know how to lead uh, a band, but we all also have different skill sets. Like we all do different things really well. So it's like we kind of have this thing of, and the thing that's super inspiring is like those dudes work so hard. They're like driven like how I think of like Michael Jordan, of just like they want to be so good that they actually will drive everyone else crazy or you're like they're they're a sociopath these guys like so it's like in a way it's like damn i have to work really hard just to keep up with these guys and so we have we have everything set up and all i'm thinking is don't fuck it up (laughs) that's really all i'm because i think that's really what can go wrong is that it's not even that we have to you know not excelling and not just being completely excellent at every step is the thing. It's like, a certain don't part, you gotta, you gotta fight like a dog to get into the matrix or into the system. But once you're in the system, you kind of trust the process a little bit and let, you know, you guys got an incredible uh, yeah. setup around yeah, you. But, but, the, but the standards are high is what I'm yeah. saying. Is that, you know, so. So for the most part, most new bands getting off the ground 
aren't plugged into the matrix and don't have that lift from uh, a manager that's a, a, I'd say certified rock star at this point, right? And uh, um, you, it takes kids. So if I'm sitting here doing what I'm doing and I don't care, um, let's say I disconnect myself from any love of music or any emotion or anything like that and I'm just looking at people, you don't want to sign a band of guys in your 35. You want to sign a bunch of band uh, guys that are 20 that'll sleep on top of each other and smell each other's farts and, and not care and just have fun because that's what the economics of this kind of music, that's kind of what it can sustain. And when you do sign a band and spend my experience and the band turns to the label and goes, well, where you got to pay my rent and I got to, I, I need this tour support. I need to fly here and it, Nah. Well, luckily, nah. we because we're veterans, yeah. we all know the deal. We all know that despite all the advantages we have, um, that first year, maybe first two years, it's going to be a grind. We're we're all going to have to sacrifice, but you know this. But it, by year three, it's on. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> theoretically, if everything goes right, if we don't uh, quote unquote uh, screw it up. Well, let, let me say this: that's why we don't have new superstar uh, talent because you, when you get to a certain point, people age out of this on some regard because unless you you either have to in the law firm world when you become a, an associate you get to a part where you're going to make partner or not and people sometimes talk about up or out like you either suddenly make partner and you're a made man in some respects or or you you're done you're, you you have to go right it's like uh so it, the metal business these bands rise to a certain level and then there's that moment usually you know it's not specifically a moment yeah when they realize comes, that they're not going to get any bigger it's either gonna go this way or not and what usually happens is it pairs down to just a couple of dudes that want to carry on the name and then they the economics are helped that way because they're you know if the bass player doesn't want to do this anymore that's fine and we can still do yeah, it they don't have to split the pie as many ways and they just make right. the other guys hired guns and, so that and then yeah. you've got these fractured bands that aren't creatively what they used to be and then they don't get that extra time to go up to here so yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's always going to be hard rock and heavy metal music. I always used to say I think there'll be a Slayer in 2068. You know, I think there'll be someone that owns that brand and that name and that logo, and they play like the music. You know how they do like Cirque du Soleil and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. I mean, look at Arch Enemy right now. They're enjoying a. Rec uh, they got a different singer, right? They've got they replace with someone new. It's a transition. If we started treating our bands more like brands, you know, like sports teams, man. The Lakers don't have Michael, uh, uh, James Worthy, and, and Kobe, and Magic Johnson, or you know, and, and the oh, Bulls don't have Michael Jordan, but people still the brand lives, right? And if we just got new blood in and kind of took these brands that were already famous and kind of pumped them with new, fresh, good music and killer new players, I bet you could perpetuate these things a lot longer. And these people, you know, but, but we'll that see what doesn't happens. that doesn't really help new new people coming along. Yeah. Well, like if a new band started out, let's say the name Quiet Riot, you know, you had uh, with that guy, James Durbin was in it, right? Mm -hmm. If a new, if Quiet Riot rocked like a killer new song that was perfectly designed for Octane, would they play it? And it was under the name Quiet Riot. Would that help or hurt? Help who? The band? Would that help it get played? Let's say a brand new band that no one's ever heard showed up and they were like, we're called Warrant, you know, like, yeah. or or we're called, uh, uh, you know, Testament. I know, or I, know I, I know what you mean, but I w think would I, that but, help or hurt? I don't well, know. Well, here's here's what I think. And they had the legacy and the but here's logos the, but here's the, the thing about a, a a brand is a is a brand is only the state of how people feel about it. So you can relaunch MySpace, 
But if pe- but if MySpace has that, tired, it, it has that tainted. stink on yep, it, exactly. Then so what, what we is need it worth? to do is keep these things from getting a stink on them. And the way but, we keep them from getting a stink is when they fall into disarray because all of the different members have left and they start putting out all the crappy. I mean, you have to tend to your brand and curate no, it. I know. If you keep it alive, God forbid, isn't doesn't have a stink on it, and bring back God forbid. But part, <laughs> but but part of the reason why I haven't. I'm not motivated to do that is because I would never want to approach. I think if it was a situation where it was like Doc Coyle and the God Forbids, would people generally be into that? Would that ruin the legacy? If you the had the support of all the different people in the band, they said, we don't want to tour anymore, but this is we're, we're going to write with this. And by the way, we're going to handpick these people. And not to make it about skin color, but if you had like some African-American well, blood in there that's or something part of the like blood, that. That's part of our you know, brand. Because you would say this is a legacy that this band helped to kick, kick down those doors. And so we're going to continue by giving new kids that also are, are you know, that opportunity with this brand maybe it's actually doing social good and maybe people would get behind it and then it just comes down to the music people would pay attention everyone would click once and listen it's just what's waiting on the other side of that click yeah well that's that that's the thing i I think for me you know even the fact that i have this podcast that is in its heart reflective a big theme of my life has been about moving on is about all right don't don't look back, move, look forward. Look, not even look forward, look at now, look at today. What am I doing today? Um, and I think there's so much so much diminishing returns on trying to recreate something or-, or Fair enough. You know, and um, so for me, it's, it's always been, you know, th- there was talk, you know, a year or two ago, we got an offer to do a show and, you know, one of the guys didn't want to do it. And it's like, if everyone's not in, then it's not, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not, um, I'm not sitting around thinking about what can I do for but God forbid. No matter forbid. What, what God forbid once was and what it is, one thing is definitely true. There is some value in the name oh, God of course. forbid. I, I agree that. And whatever the equity is in that name, God forbid, it's more than a band that I haven't even started yet that no one course, knows about, yeah. right? And if we took the next generation of young kids and we called it God forbid and you sent out a press release, you would get even the concept of a whole new lineup under that. Everyone's going to listen to it. And if it smokes... Then, then all of a sudden, you just got on the map of everybody right away. Boom. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I'm well, not saying I, that's what we yeah. should do. Well, but, uh, I, I, and I'm in, in many ways, I've I've thought a lot about stuff like that. But I've also thought about the opposite of even the last record, which I think is really good. It's still the fact that my brother wasn't involved. Yeah. It's still it's a it's however you know twenty percent less. God forbid. Do you, do you because, know? Do you know Trans Siberian Orchestra? Yeah. You know where that band came from? It's from the Sabotage dudes, right? Yeah. There was a band called Sabotage. Sabotage. S-A-V-A-T-A-G-E. And they played heavy metal, traditional heavy metal. And it started to wind down. And no one really cared. And they made an instrumental Christmas thing. And it was on one of their albums. And they, by the way, that band, the singer dipped out and didn't sing anymore. And the guitar player got killed in a car accident. And they just replaced members, right? They kept going. They got to this point. And I guess they said to Atlantic Records, we think this should be played on the radio. Atlantic was like, please, we're not going for a radio campaign for sabotage. So what did they do? They wrote Trans-Siberian Orchestra on a CD burn of the thing and gave it to the DJs. And it started getting sent around. And it got played at Christmas music. And oh, my God, this thing was invented where there's multiple tours entities and stuff and does anybody care who's in that band <laughs> no i mean it's it's i'm it's, just trying to say that we get so precious yeah and i think that i think that 
we need to look at the economics and you need to we need to stick together as a community we need to take these brands we need to embrace them and we need to lift them up and you don't need to start a new brand the world doesn't need 78,000 more brands what it needs is more eyeballs and more money in this form of music and i i don't have all the answers i don't even have any of them mm-hmm. but I, I i love thinking about it I love no me too listen you know? i'm a i'm a brainstormer i'm an idea guy like i was doing stuff with my cover band a few years ago and and actually really enjoyed it. i just got too busy um yeah. and i had all kinds of ideas too about doing stuff with with uh that uh, rebel noise group about oh i'll have a rebel news group West, Rebel Noise Group, <laughs> hey. East, and, and put, you know, so I, trust me, I was thinking all about stuff like that. Um, you know, sometimes with me, I'm so not motivated by money that mm-hmm. I think it, it hinders me kind of connecting the dots on something. Like, I just don't have that Listen, muscle. Dude, it's beautiful that you love music. Look, music, business, two words. There's a the music, there's the business. I love the music, so do you. I love the business. We could talk about either one. What's beautiful when they come together, isn't it? And that's what I hope. Yeah, happens but Wolf. yes, yes. Well, listen, there's there's definitely a lot of opportunity. It's funny. Um, a lot of the stuff I wanted to ask you about, we didn't really get to. So we're gonna have to do a part two. Because <laughs> I feel like me and you will just we'll just keep, fun. keep 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 going. But I, I think um, you know most of my podcasts kind of have a very definitive like. All right, we're gonna talk about this. We're gonna talk about this. And this one we kind of just kind of went for it and. Um, in, in a sense, it was like hashing out where we're going, you know, as a community, because I think that's still a question. It's, it's you know, a lot of these conversations we have when no one's around. It's just me and you talking. Like, what yeah. the, like, me, I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And you're like, listen, I have this whole other perspective. Um, uh, about every three weeks, I think I got it figured out. And yeah, I go, wait, guys, guys, now now here's what we're, we're on to this now, right? <laughs> and then the next time you talk to me, it's something different. But so just one, one, one last thing. Um, if you could, is there any mistakes or bad trends or things going on when when because you, you get pitched ba- bands to like so that you can shop at to record labels and stuff? Is there anything going on that you say here's what you shouldn't do or something that's going on right now that's like just stop doing? Don't this. shop your band, and I'll tell you why because everybody can find everything on the internet at any time, right? And when you shop, if you walk into a bar and you tap 25 girls on the shoulder and say, uh, hey, would you like to go out? You look like a dork. You walk in there and you look cool as fuck and you stand at the bar and you just lean up there and order a drink. <laughs> you can do, you're doing better for yourself. And and I think that what bands need to do is they need to be a band. People don't realize this. Even with your band, dude, I told Berkland, put up that, make a video, put up the song, play that show down in Orange County, right? You didn't want to, you know, like you, you got to, you don't come out of the box and go make some tracks and then go hit everybody up because here's what you're gonna get. They're gonna go, oh, this sound good. Let me know when you're playing New York. You know, let me keep me keep me in mind on uh, see how the numbers are doing online. Until you got an audience, until you prove at this point because A and R guys are like white rhinos. They're an endangered species, right? And these guys need to worry about their jobs. When I interview kids for for a law firm job. And, and I look at the, the fact that uh, they, you know, it might be a great interview, but if they don't have certain grades and they, don't, they didn't go to Harvard Law School or something, they're probably not getting the job. And the reason why is because uh, most people 
if that person screws up under our brand, I can go, oh, they went to Harvard Law School. But if I take a chance on some kid that had terrible grades or something, then he screws up, right? So these A&R people, they need to be able to point to analytics. And the business is very driven now by analytics and data. And so A&R guys and major label A&R, all they do is look at how many SoundCloud plays or what's going on, how many Facebook likes or what do they got on Instagram, how many video views on YouTube, what you have to show that it works. And here's the beautiful part about that. If you go out and instead of shopping your band, you put up a track online, maybe you get a publicist and get a premiere at a certain, you know, uh, Loudwire or Revolver or something like that. But um, you you start working it a little bit to see if anyone gives a shit. The beautiful thing about that. But then that, if no one what, gives a shit, do you just quit? Yes, but you should anyway because no one gives a shit. <laughs> and they can easily. They, you, people think that the barrier to people giving a shit is getting signed to a label. Labels don't don't make anything happen. Hey, by the way, in this era of hashtag me too, let me say this. It's not who you sleep with. It's not who you know. It's how good you are. Whether people care. If people care about you, you're going to be fine. If, if people don't care about your music, you can sleep with anybody you want. It's still not going to work, right? Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, this is what uh, that's the beautiful thing man just get it out there do it be a band do the things and they'll find you they'll come to you they'll tap you on the shoulder because they're looking for content and when you've achieved those goals and yeah why don't you find out whether anyone cares and you can tell that's what's so beautiful about bad wolves you but, put out a video people cared but i can also make the assertion that there is tons of great stuff where no one cares. Well, I didn't or, say great. I, I'm talking about, yeah, there's tons of great stuff. There's great movies that are complete, you know, award-winning art films that if they opened up at the Megaplex, it would be an empty theater, right? Well, it's, but, but it's not even about that. There are movies that are bombs when they come out and then become classics over time. Okay. I think there are, there are a lot of the most famous authors were unknown while they were alive, but, and they become it, discovered okay. when they die. What, I, what, what, what I'm saying museum. is, museum. This is the, not, we're talking about labels investing money yeah. and industry people investing their time. And frankly, you're gonna get a window of time where they're gonna come in and they're gonna give their resources and their attention, and they're either gonna get something out of it or they're not. They're not gonna hang for three or yeah. four albums. Well, well, listen, I, I think you're giving an accurate version of the reality, mm -hmm. and what I would say is is the real downside and why. The music community and people who like art and people who like uh, um, great music, why we lose on that is that, I'll give an example, band called Glassjaw that I just talked mm -hmm. about, put out a record. Their first, e they put out an EP called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Doesn't sound anything like what they altered. Like it, very rough around the edges. They were not a great live band. It took a guy like Mike Gitter to see this rough around the edges band that didn't, no one knew outside of Long Island, New York and say, no, we're gonna put you with uh, Ross Robinson and you're gonna become the band. See, I mean, another guy, you know, Carl Severson from Fair Records, he would see bands that weren't that good yet and he would like be able to tell, no, they have something. And then you put them with the producer to make them great. They don't have fans. They're they're just some band. Maybe people know in their hometown. No, and well, that well, happens well, all the time. In fact, when we when we stop this, I'm gonna play you a song, something that I've been carrying around uh, for a long time. That oh my god, we finally got it right, and yeah. it's so good. I'm so excited. And yes, but, it does take time. But but some of my favorite ba new bands are bands that I'm like like In Search of Sun, like Moontooth, like. Um, you know, uh, Painted Wives. I think these bands are great, and I think they're some of the best bands, but they're not popular because why? 
because I I personally think this, and hey, I don't care if anyone says it. I think uh, I think a lot of people have shitty taste. I think I think you know <laughs> the things I like. Fair enough. You Fair know, enough. The, like, you know, maybe that means. I just have a different By kind way, of. By the way, I heard some painted wives demos yesterday. <laughs> They're so sick. Yeah. So watch for that in mid. Yeah. But 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 thing is though, is it that the band you could be doing something, doing something great, but if you don't, you're saying, oh, people will come to you. How do they know that you're there? Put if it you, up on the internet. If fucking you know, what I'm saying if it's you can put it on the internet, but how are people getting to it? That's how what are I'm saying. Getting to it. And do do like a do a, put it up on your socials. Do a loudwire premiere. Put it on you know like with some site that has a bush and get it out there you you find these things I'm, you I'm, hear everything that comes I'm, out i'm what i'm what i'm saying is i think a lot of this stuff is there's not there's not secret unknown shitty, metal shitty. bands out there that are so killer that got the next master of puppets but you haven't found them yet no Tom. but there but there are things that are average yeah. that have an audience and there are things that are great that don't really have much of an audience and sometimes yeah. it's as it's as i you know i don't know why x thing is popular and this isn't Maybe it's okay. the look of the band. Maybe it's the logo. Maybe it's the marketing. Maybe who knows? But I'm just saying is that because if if we did sports the way we did music, you wouldn't have like a Draymond Green. Like we, they develop people in sports. They're like, this kid has talent. We're gonna train him. Oh, they We're develop. Care by the way, in pop music, people sign people to like songwriting deals real early, and yeah. they grind it for years and stuff. You know why? Because it, there's enough money in that game to be worth, and there's enough money in in the Golden State Warriors to be worth. The, you know, like, but, but there's but not enough money in this thing to have somebody want to spend five to seven years not making any yeah. money because all someday they might make but, a little. bit. But that's bit. what I'm saying is because of that. We may not have the next Radiohead. We may not have the next Dylan. We might never have the next Rolling Stones because we're not we, like we have decided that it's almost like we need like a national endowment for rock and roll. And guess what? <laughs> Every other country does invest money into. It. And by the way, if you want to go to the opera or the or the symphony, people give money because they can't afford it because they want to keep that music alive. Yeah, dude. One time, jazz music was the most popular. Kind I know, of music. and that's what I think. That's <laughs> I've literally written that in articles. I'm like, I don't want to be jazz, and and not that I not to diss jazz, but I don't want to be a genre of music only liked by elites and other musicians but you you can still do this and I, at the end of the day i would say but do it go out there and do it play the shows put it up on the internet and and do the work on social media and yeah sure try to find somebody and connect to the matrix by someone through an attorney or a manager or another label or something like that but you know don't think that getting signed is the goal because what's the goal is is to acquire fans yeah. and there are two fan bases you're looking for as an unsigned band you're looking to attract the industry you're also looking to attract the people those aren't always the same thing right yeah. but at the end of the day you got to go out and do that work anyway so why not do it? And if you do it well and people are reacting, you'll know. And you're right. If it, Dude, you know this as well as I do. There's, you know 15, 20 bands that you probably know that are out there doing it day in, day out. And you know it's going nowhere. You know it's going nowhere. Yeah. We live in Hollywood, right? So you know that these guys are never going to headline stadiums. They're just not, yeah. right? So at, you know, you if you know that, I know that. Why not? Why not move off it quicker? Why not start a band, see if it works, and then I don't know. No, You're no, right. I, I think that's that's the uh, I've, I've I've referenced this this uh, Freakonomics episode of uh, this podcast, and we said the upside of quitting, 
you know, and it's, it was a whole, and this, this, it actually factored into me leaving God forbid and kind of almost colors everything I do now in my life where I'm like, I'm kind I have that. Once you start like quitting things and be, being able to walk away, you kind of, that becomes a muscle and you be like, yep, I'm ready to go. Like it's <laughs> totally. to the point you're like, am I a quitter? Am I, oh. do I do? Because the thing is you want to, there's also that idea of leaving something too early before yeah. it well, it I hits. Went it's like an investment, FOMO, right? But I went to I when I first went to Vegas and learned to gamble. I would say, okay, I'm playing blackjack and this is really cool. But I always would want to put more and more money down because I would want to have a bigger uh, win. And then I learned that quickly you can lose your money real quick. And the real way to play the game is to sit there and wait until you see what the dealer's card is and maybe did you get an eleven? You can double down. And if you play that way because you got a little bit more information about what's going on and base yourself that way, you can hang longer and do better, right? Now, maybe you're still a sucker game to gamble at any point. The point being is if, if I can see some of the dealer's cards by putting out some music and getting people's reaction and I can see no one cares, then maybe, uh, maybe I should move on. Even if you can tell, it doesn't mean that there's a million people that like it, but you can tell whether some people kind of are feeling this, or is it just your friends that you have to beat up to come to the show? Yeah. Well, right? it's it's um, in a way, it's funny. Despite us, I can't tell if this conversation has been fluid or if it's been all over the place. Uh, I'll have to kind of uh, listen back to it, but I think it's a great place to kind of wrap it up because that is the fo- that is the idea of what the show is about. Is like you're in something. When do you leave? Why, you know, when you left, what happened? Was that the right decision? Was it the wrong decision? Kind of contemplating that. And again, and like that other thing, talking about Monday morning quarterback, it's always easy after mm-hmm. the fact to say this was the right decision or the wrong decision. But, you know, we're figuring it out. Well, th- thank you so much for coming on, Eric, man. I think uh, despite this, this maybe an all over the place, I think, you know, we, we asked a lot of the important questions and, and hopefully came up with a few <laughs> answers. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it. So there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Probably one of my favorite episodes I've done so far, and I would definitely love to get Eric back on the show to do something a little more into what he does on a on a day-to-day basis because I'm super interested in that. And he's someone who is educationally minded and is not precious with his knowledge and a real ally of mine and a guy I really have a lot of love for. So really want to thank Eric so much for that. I want to thank you guys for checking out the show. I've been getting a lot of great, uh, very encouraging uh, mail lately, just people sending messages, people hitting me up on Twitter, more people are discovering the show. Uh, Luckily, some of these shows like uh, the Billy from Biohazard and Powerful episode got picked up by some news sites, you know, every now and again, I guess a quote will get out there and and it'll make some news. The last episode with DL from Acacia Strain and Legend, some stuff about him working with with um, Unearth got out there. So that's exposing the show to some people. And, and listen, overall, it's a it's a fairly modest program, but I appreciate it. Every every one of you guys counts. The more you tell your friends, the more you guys share about the show on social media is is really, really appreciated. So I'm feeling good about stuff. Ultimately, I do this stuff for myself. I I get a lot out of having these conversations and sharing it with you guys. That's ultimately what I think the podcast realm is about is just getting to include more people in personal conversations and 
you know, for me, I it's it's very exploratory. So a lot of these, you know, sometimes it's something like this where me and Eric will talk about this stuff on our own. And then sometimes I have certain conversations with people like the one I had with Corey from God Forbid where, or our old manager, the Rev, that I haven't had. So in a way, I'm just, I'm letting, I'm using the show as a way to kind of have conversations that might be awkward to have in real life. So it has a lot of benefit for me personally and maybe professionally down the line. We we shall see. But as long as you guys are into it, I'm definitely going to keep doing it. So thanks so much for listening to this show. You guys enjoy yourselves. Mamba out. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.